The children are dismissed to junior church, so you may make your way out to junior church. And we're going to be going to Romans 7 to finish off that chapter here in a moment. But I love that song, How Great Is Our God, and I like how uh, Steve kind of led us in prayer at the end. Our God is awesome. Amen. Amen. And uh, I'm reminded of that. There's a video which you can find completely on YouTube now um, by Louis Giglio. Louis Giglio is a pastor in Atlanta. I grew up with Andy Stanley, if you know of Andy Stanley. And I believe he grew up in Charles Stanley's church, if you know of Charles Stanley. And there's a video called Indescribable. And uh, I found it, I was watching some of it with my kids the other day. And then there was a sequel. I think that one was called How Great Is Our God. And Indescribable is, you might, I would encourage any of you, I'd commend it to ch- you to check it out. Because he is, uh, was on a tour with a worship band. And there's a worship song titled Indescribable. And he pulls up these NASA Hubble Space Telescope pictures. And he shows how amazingly large our galaxy is and how amazingly large outer space is. In fact, we don't really know where it ends. And in the video, it's about 42, 43 minutes long, and in the video, indescribable, he shows these pictures through the Hubble Space Telescope of these galaxies far, far away in a land far, Star Wars, anyway, never mind, in a land long, long ago, these galaxies far, far away that are shaped like a cross. Because for centuries and centuries and centuries, for most of human history, until recently, we couldn't even see these galaxies. Like, why are they there? They're there to display the glory and the awesomeness and the greatness of God. And Louis Giglio makes the point that God has put the gospel everywhere. Even in these galaxies and the way they're shaped. He shows this picture of which NASA did through many, 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 many pictures, putting them together, this picture of what the Milky Way would look like. And there's like this, and, and it's interesting, you, you've all probably seen this, we're not in the middle, <laughs> we're kind of off in this little spiral, little loop, and it's just amazing when you see that. And then it, he kind of ends his video talking about a substance in our DNA called lanolin that is shaped like a cross. You know, our God is great, and we see it from the greatness of how amazingly awesome and big the galaxies are and the, and the universe is, and then also to the complexity and the minuteness of, of, of our DNA, you know, and God cares about it all. God cares about it all. And that's what's going to lead us to Romans 7. When I was a kid, I remember many times trying to get something done, but it, it just did not work out. Uh, this was because I needed my dad's help or I needed an adult's help. And this is not unique to me. Uh, one day when Mercedes was about 18 months old, Mercedes, my oldest one, who's going on 10 years old, uh, I was sleeping soundly and was awakened to a cl- crash, boom, bang, and then, a, and then a cry. And I ran out to the kitchen and found Mercedes had woken up in the night and had got her little play table and put a chair on top of the play table and was trying to reach something in the refrigerator. And praise God, she was okay. And even as she cried, I said, you're not going to get much sympathy from me. You're doing something you shouldn't be doing. You know better. You needed an adult's help and an adult's permission. She needed help. I was reminded last night as I was sharing this in the um, Saturday night service, 
of a time when I was going to a, a conference at Cedarville University, and Mercedes was just over two years old, and we were, we, we were having dinner at a McDonald's in Huber Heights outside Dayton, and they had a play place, and unfortunately, these play places say you're, the adults can, can climb through with their kids to help them through. That's, that's very unfortunate. I don't like those things, but so I'm climbing through with Mercedes, and Mercedes is a very, very strong-willed girl. She always has been. In fact, when, when, when I am getting older, and she is in her 50s and 60s, uh, we don't have a stand a chance. She tries to boss us around now. When I'm an elderly man, if she doesn't want me to do something and wants to take the keys away, probably don't stand a chance because she's a bossy girl. Anyway, she's a very determined girl. And even, even when she was two years old, she was. And yet she's climbing through this play place and she gets to this point and she's trying to reach the next level. And she said in this cute little two-year-old way, I can't I can't do it. I'm, I'm too little, you know? And it was a cute little way she needed help. She needed an adult's help. You know, have you ever attempted something that you needed help with? You know, it's happened to me many times when I attempt automotive work. I'm not good at it. I used to try. Now I know better. I always get myself in over my head. I make things worse. And then the car can't drive, and, and I can't finish a job, and I have to go through and think, who can I call to help me figure this out? I've, I've tried it on many jobs around the house. I think I can just put this ceiling fan up. It'll just take an hour. And four hours later, I'm thinking, why can't I get this screw to turn in right? It's happened many, many times to me. Now, why do I share this? I share this because I believe the passage we are going to look at is showing that apart from Christ, we cannot be good. Sure, we may be okay or think we are okay. We may do some good things. We may do some good things apart from Christ, but we will mess up. We mess up and we struggle with sin, even knowing Christ, right? Even knowing Jesus is Lord and Savior, we still mess up and we still struggle with sin, even as Christians. So without Christ in our life at all, as a non-Christian, we are really a mess. We need Jesus, and I believe all of Romans, all this book of Romans, which we're kind of marching our way through, is all showing we need Jesus. What, what, what we need is not more law. We don't need more law. More law is not going to make us saved. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. And so we're going to look at Romans 7, 7 through 25. And I want to show you that we need Jesus. That's my theme. The only way to defeat sin is through Jesus. The only way to defeat sin is through Jesus. And I'm going to give uh, maybe a different interpretation on this. I'll tell you right in the front. I, I don't think Paul is writing this passage talking about himself as a Christian. Many people are encouraged by this passage thinking, wow, even Paul is having struggles. And I'm going to show you why I believe Paul is writing as a non-Christian. He's writing about his pre-saved self. Or he could even be writing as a, as a non-Christian Jewish person. And it's all pointing to the point that we need divine intervention. We need Jesus. So in verses, and we're going to walk just straight through this passage. And it, it's a, you know, it's, there's a lot of depth in here. Um, I don't know if you've seen, uh, there was a star, show called Star Trek. You've probably never heard of it. And it came out in the 60s, and they made movies in the 80s and, and, and 90s and many other series. And then in the early 2000s, 2008, I think, or 2009, they started remaking movies. And at the end of the first remake, the guy who 
played Captain Kirk at the very end said, came into the bridge and he sounded just like William Shatner when he did it. He said, Bones, buckle your seatbelt. And I want to encourage you right now, buckle your seatbelt. This is a deep passage and there's a lot here. In fact, last night I was going through this passage trying to trying to preach it and trying to declare it and I and, and I even get tired preaching, I really do. And then I, you know, it's amazing you can think of multiple thoughts in your head at the same time. So as I'm going through the sermon, I thought Oh gosh, I got to do it again tomorrow. And so here we are, but there's a lot of depth here and I'm encouraged by it because again, I believe it's pointing to Jesus. I believe it's pointing to the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'm going to tell you again in a few moments, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times in Romans 8. But in Romans 7, in today's passage, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned once. And so I believe Paul is pointing to our need for divine intervention. So let's walk through this. In verses 7 through 13, we see the law and sin contrasted. The law and sin contrasted. The law, the Old Testament law, the moral law, the law of Moses and sin contrasted. And, and, and we got to put this in context. It's critical with any Bible study. It's critical with any sermon. It's critical anytime you're reading the Bible that you think of the context. So, so let's do that. Paul is picking up from verses 1 through 6. In verses 1 through 6, Paul had been writing about how we were released from the law. Paul compared it to being married. And once your spouse dies, you're free to remarry. That was verse 3. We talked about that last week. In verse 4, Paul says that we were meant to die to the law through the body of Christ. And when we were saved, we died to the old law. We died to the old self. And we were resurrected metaphorically with Christ. In verse 5, Paul had talked about being in the flesh. And in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work. We're not meant to be in the flesh. In the flesh, in the New Testament, is, is pretty much always a bad thing. We're meant to be in the Spirit. In verse 6, Paul had said that we had been released from the law. We serve in the newness of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So notice that we serve in the newness of the Spirit. As we look at this passage, you may think, what's the point of all of this? And the point is that without Jesus and without walking by the Holy Spirit, we are set up to fail. Without Jesus and without walking with the Holy Spirit, we are set up to fail. We cannot meet God's standard. We cannot meet God's standard. So Jesus did it for us. But even as a Christian, we still need to walk with Jesus. John 15, abide in Jesus, live with Jesus. That means we need to be active in spiritual disciplines. We need to be active in reading and studying and meditating on the Bible. We need to be involved with our church family. When the Holy Spirit is combined with the body of Christ and with the Word of God, powerful things happen. We can't live the Christian life otherwise. That's how we live with Jesus. We don't live with Jesus by just saying a sinner's prayer at one point in your life and, and, then, and then never coming to church and never studying the Bible. We don't live with Jesus that way. We live with Jesus by being active in a relationship with him. And without that relationship, we are set up to fail. We need to be saturated with the word of God as Christians. So this brings us to verses 7 through 13. Verse 7 says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. So Paul had been writing about the law, capital L, 
And that would be the Old Testament law. He would be writing about the Torah, which means the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know, he was writing about the Torah, the Pentateuch, it's called in Greek, which means five. You know, he was writing about the law. And he's saying, is the law sin? By no means. By the way, sometimes when Paul mentions law in Romans, he's meaning the moral law. Not the law of Moses, but the moral law. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two. But he's saying, is the law sin? No. People could easily think that he is saying that the law is sin. Paul responds emphatically, by no means. The law shows us that we are sinners. The law exposes the sin. Paul gives the example of coveting. That is to desire something. Uh, to desire something forbidden, to lust. And Paul says, I would not known... I would not have known what it means to covet if it weren't for the law. The law exposes that. The law is not sin. Paul quotes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and Deuteronomy 5.21 right here. And that leads us to verse 8. In verse 8, Paul says, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. What he is saying is that the law exposes the sin. The law gives the written culpability, the written accountability. Uh, there's a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, Ben Witherington, and I like what he says. He says he thinks that Romans 7, 7-13, Paul is using the rhetorical device called impersonation. We need to realize that within the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there's many different types of literary devices. There's chiasm, and there's allegory, and there's metaphor, and there's analogy. And in this case, impersonation. Impersonation. Uh, Witherington continues. He says, Paul speaks in the first person, but not as himself. This is not biographical either. He is writing as Adam. Like in Romans 5. In Romans 5, Paul talked about Adam as well. They are present tense words, but Paul is writing as Adam. He writes that he existed before the law. Who existed before the law? Adam existed before the law. He writes about when he violated the commandment, sin awoke. Who would that have happened to? That would have been Adam in Genesis 3. Remember in context, Romans chapter 7 verses 5 through 6. Paul says they used to be this way. This is Paul viewing things from a Christian point of view. So Paul is not writing about himself. Paul is stepping back and viewing it objectively as Adam would. I, I, I like that. I think that Do Dr. Witherington makes some good points. And we will come back to the idea of literature devices in the next section. And there's many different views here. Uh, the Moody Bible Commentary builds on this. It, it, it outlines the three different views, and those are in my notes. If you pick them up, I'm going to skip over. Uh, skip to verse 13. In verse 13, Paul wraps up this section. In verse 13, it says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? Paul says, By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. This is, gets really, really choppy, right? We really have to kind of break it down. This is really technical. Paul is writing in a question and answer style, right? He's writing in a Q&A style. Did that which is good, that would be the law, did that which is good bring death to him? And, and again, he could still be writing as Adam, and I think he is. I think he's writing with that literary device called impersonation. Paul was a brilliant uh, a, a brilliant. Um, 
a brilliant writer, a brilliant speaker. He, he was a master of rhetoric. He knew how to master rhetoric. And he's using that device called impersonation. Did that which is good bring death to me? That would be the law. That would be the law. Uh, and this last verse, make, verse makes very clear that the law exposes a sin. Sin produces a death through the law exposing it. The tail end of this verse is complicated. The commandment might become sinful beyond measure. What does that mean? The commandment might become sinful beyond measure. This is just saying through the commandment, the sin becomes more sinful by exposing it. The commandments expose it. The New American Standard Bible, which I usually like and use a lot, it's usually a little more choppy because it's very literal, but it's actually a little better right here. The, the NASB, New American Standard Bible, says, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. The sin becomes utterly sinful, not the commandment. The commandment is exposing it. Did the good law cause death? The correct understanding is that sin, sin used something good to bring human death. Sin used something good, the commandment, to bring human death. God used the law to accomplish his purpose, to fully expose sin and point the sinner to God's only remedy for sin. What is God's only remedy for sin? Jesus. This is all about Jesus. So, I want to quickly overview the three different views of Romans 7, 14 through 25, and then we're going to go verse by verse, and we will uh, outline that really quickly. So I already kind of summarized uh, verses 7 through 13. I favor that in verses 7 through 13, Paul was writing as Adam, and I could go along with him writing as a Jewish unbeliever too. He could have been writing as a Jewish unbeliever or as Adam, but I don't think he's writing as himself. And I still do not believe, I do not believe that this section is, that the next section, verses 14 through 25, is about Paul writing of himself as a Christian. There is the view that he is writing about himself before he was saved. I could go along with that. Paul is writing about his pre-saved self. That's possible. Uh, and I could go along with uh, that easier than I could believe that this is Paul as a believer. One source notes this. This is very, very interesting. The Holy Spirit is not mentioned in verses 13 through 25, but is referred to 19 times in chapter 8. To say that also, in verse 14 it says, uh, Paul references being captive to the law of sin. Christians are not captive to the law of sin. In verse 23, um, uh, no, verse 14, it's sold under sin. Verse 23 is captive to the law of sin. That stands in total tension to chapter 6 and chapter 8, which trumpet the freedom of believers from slavery to sin. You know, I know that it is encouraging to view this section as writing about Paul's struggle with sin. Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. And I know that that's encouraging to think, this is the apostle Paul, and he's even failing. And I know that's encouraging to us. And, and I believe Paul was human like we are. He struggled with sin too. But I don't believe that's the point of this chapter. I think the Bible makes very clear this, as you look at this, it's saying that the person outside of Christ will do the things they don't want to do, won't do the things they want to do, and is set up to fail. Paul is pointing us to Christ. Paul is pointing us to a Savior. He's been doing that all throughout Romans. He's saying the Jewish people need Christ. The Gentiles need Christ. We all need a Savior. And remember, context is key. 
We need to read Romans 7, verses 14 through 25 in light of Romans 8. And look at verses 1 through 2 of Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and end of death. Romans 8, towards the end of the chapter, will say that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We aren't sold under, uh, under sin anymore. We aren't in bondage to sin anymore, not with the Holy Spirit. God has given us everything we need to conquer sin and to live the Christian life. Respectable Christians hold differing views on this passage. Uh, you can read the differing views in a good study Bible. Some say that Paul uses present tense pronouns referring to himself, and that means that, he is a, that, that he's writing about his current state as a Christian, but I still think it's noteworthy that the Holy Spirit is not mentioned at all. Further, it is important that he continues to talk about the law and the flesh, which usually refers to the carnal state. Also, in the context of Romans, Paul is telling people that they cannot keep the law. They need a Savior. So this passage, there's three different views on verses 14 through 25. Three different views. The first view is that Paul is writing about his pre-saved life, his life before he was saved, his life before he was a Christian. The second view is that he is objectively, he is objectively talking about the unsaved Jewish person, maybe using impersonation, writing about Adam, writing as Adam still. The third view is that he is writing about the Christian's struggle. And respectable people have held all three different views. I respect your view, whatever it is. Again, Dr. Witherington from Asbury shares this. Remember in context, he says. Romans 7, 5 through 6. Paul says they used to be this way. They used to be this way. Then in Romans 8, 1 through 2, the Spirit has set us free. Witherington says, Romans 7 is the before and Romans 8 the after. Romans 7 is the before salvation and Romans 8 is the after you are saved with the Holy Spirit within you. And I think that is, that's a good, good summary. So we're going to walk uh, through this passage here. That we see the conflict of the two natures in verses 14 through 25. Verse 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. The law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. A Christian is not sold under sin, are we? Not anymore. And that makes the case that this is about Paul's pre-Christian state. Paul's unsaved state. Or he's talking about a non-believing Jewish person trying to keep the law. We cannot keep the law. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you realize, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That's what that says. The old has passed away, the new has come. We are metamorphosized. It's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. See also Galatians 2.20. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God who has died and gave himself as a ransom for me. Verse 15 is where it gets interesting. Verse 15 says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Some may think that he is talking about us, and as Christians, we definitely have struggles, but I still think that we cannot keep the law put differently. This is life without the Holy Spirit. This is life without the Holy Spirit. The next chapter is all about the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is all about the Holy Spirit. Verses 16 through 18, he says, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Why would he not have the ability to carry it out? Because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He is unsaved. He is not regenerated. Regeneration is the word we use about becoming a Christian. We are regenerated. We are made new. He is still saying that sin is ultimately the cause. He says that nothing good dwells within him. But he's talking about his flesh. Paul always used the Greek word. It's, it, it, it's called sarks. It's the it, Greek word translated as flesh. He always uses that Greek word to emphasize the ineffectiveness of the human effort in spiritual matters. And within uh, Paul's writings of the New Testament, there's always a dichotomy, a contrast between the flesh, Greek word sarks, which is bad, and the spirit, which is good. Why would Paul not be able to carry it out? It's because he's unsaved. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He's trying to keep the law. He's trying to, he's trying to do what's right, but he can't do it because he hasn't been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. Verse 19, he says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Again, he is tirelessly trying to keep the law. Tirelessly. Can you, can you just imagine the tiredness, the exhaustion trying to keep the law? The exhaustion trying to do what is right. You can't do it. Verses 19 through 23. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin, sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law. Then when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. By the way, throughout the New Testament, we are never called sinners after we are, after we are committed to Christ. We're always called saints. The word saint is always used for the Christian, not sinners. Doesn't mean we don't struggle, but we are sanctified. That means set apart for God's glory. It's powerful. Notice in verse 19, Paul still says that it is sin that causes him to do sins. It is not the law. He is captive to the law of sin. Verses 24 and 25 wrap up this section. Listen to this language. Wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. He was exhausted trying to keep the law, exhausted to do what is right without the Holy Spirit, without being saved. Who will deliver me? Only Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus. He is talking about an unsaved person. And as verse 25 says, thanks be to God. The end of verse 25 seems to make it look like he is talking about himself in the present. But I still think the case is clear that he is talking about an unbeliever. And again, he could be using impersonation. Or maybe his pre-Christian state. 
He says, who will set me free? Who will rescue me? That cannot be the words of a believer, can it? We know who will rescue us, right? Jesus. Only Jesus rescues us. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our sanctifier. Jesus is our savior. We know this. So let's make some applications here. We must recognize that if we try on our own, we won't defeat sin. If we try on our own without Jesus' help, without knowing Jesus, without committing to Jesus, without walking by the Spirit, we are set up to fail. We won't defeat sin. Some of you have been Christians, living for Christ, and you may not realize you're still trying on your own, trying to defeat sin. The Bible calls us to live with one another as Christians, to confess our sins to one another. As iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another, Proverbs 27, 17. A cord of three strands is not easily broken, Ecclesiastes 4, 12. Even though you're committed to Christ, God calls us to, to seek help through the church family, through our Christian brothers and sisters, to hold each other accountable, to build one another up. You may be suffering with anxiety or fear. Those are the sins that oftentimes we don't try to get help with. I think I can just take care of it on my own. I've got the word of God and I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm okay. And what you don't realize is what you're missing is the church of God. You need to seek help from the church. You need to let the, uh, God's people help you. you. You need to seek a brother and sister in Christ and say, pray for me. I have these fears. I have this anxiety. I have this worry. I need help. And maybe it's something else. Maybe it's bad eating habits, bad stewardship of the body. It might be lust. It could be something else. If we try on our own, we can't defeat sin. We need the Holy Spirit's help. And the first step is committing to Jesus as Lord and Savior. The second step is living in a relationship with Jesus, in the spiritual disciplines, as a disciple. We must be grateful for the law as it was a teacher to expose our sinfulness and point to our need for Christ. That was verse 7. Uh, we must not blame the law on our problem, but repent. That was verses 11 through 12. We must recognize that the law is holy. That was verse 13. Paul never blamed the law. He didn't blame the law. We always blame the rules, don't we? Well, if you didn't have that rule, I would have been okay, right? We always blame the rules. It's not the rules. It's not the, it's not the police that are the problem or the rule keepers or anything else. It's us. It's us. We need help. We need the Holy Spirit. We need saved. We need set free. We need Jesus. We must recognize that apart from Jesus, we cannot keep the law and nor do what is right, verses 14 through 25. Without Jesus' help, we will do the things we do not want to do and won't do the things we want to do, verse 15. With Jesus' help, with Jesus' help, we will still struggle. But as an unregenerate non-believer, it is a losing battle. It is a losing battle without Jesus. But with Jesus' help, he has given us everything we need to conquer. With the Holy... We have... Do you realize, as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus raise from the grave? How was he resurrected? The Holy Spirit. Actually, the Bible would say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all present in the resurrection, of course. Present everywhere. How did Jesus do all his miracles? The Holy Spirit. You have that power within you. We must understand that Jesus is a power to carry out what is right, verse 18. Only Jesus can deliver us, verse 24. We must walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, Walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
We are set free by the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to get into Romans 8, 1 through 11, which is this powerful, marvelous, awesome passage about how we are set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we are saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That's verse uh, verse 9 of Romans 8. As Christians, we will struggle, but we must lean on the Holy Spirit to help us. We We must also allow the Holy Spirit to help us through the Word of God, in the people of God. I've referenced that. Uh, Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Psalm 119, the whole psalm is about how powerful the word of God is. Listen, if you are a Christian and you're not in the word of God, you are set up to fail. If you're only taking in from the word of God when I'm preaching on Sunday morning or in Sunday school, you're probably going to choke because it's like eating once a week. I mean, imagine if you only ate once a week, and in that meal you had the best steak and the best baked potato or whatever you like, but you're only eating once a week. You probably won't feel too good. We need to be taking in the Word of God. We need to be saturating ourselves with the Word of God, and we also need the people of God. Most of, human his- most of church history, they would have no understanding of being a Christian apart from the church. We are the bride of Christ. There's like a hundred one another passages in the New Testament. We need the word of God and the people of God. So sometimes we need help, right? In the beginning of this sermon, I talked about Mercedes trying to, and she still does it, trying to, and I did it her age, we all did, right? Trying to do things, stacking chairs on top of tables and things like that to do things that any toddler might try, but she needed help. And she also needed an adult's permission. I referenced my ability too often to try things that I should not be trying on my own because I need help. We also need help. We need to walk by the Holy Spirit. And the first step is committing our life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you have not committed your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, today is a day of salvation. You know, God loves it when we walk with him. God desires a relationship with each and every one of us. I, I began, we sang How Great Is Our God, and I talked about Indescribable, that video by Louis Giglio, and how marvelous and awesome the universe is, and, and how amazing these galaxies are. It's just amazing. You know what's amazing? With all of that, all that splendor of God's majesty, God cares about you and me. He saves us. If you watch the video titled How Great Is Our God by Louis Giglio, he actually talks about these, um, these uh, telescopes that pick up radio signals in outer space. And they pick up sounds from, from pulsar stars. And it's really neat. And, as, and he plays those sounds from the pulsar stars. And he plays How Great Is Our God with them. And they sound perfect. I mean, I'm not a musician, but they sound perfect to me and to him. And I think he's a musician because Louis Giglio has written songs. It sounds amazing. And the point is, all of creation is worshiping God. These pulsar stars in way out in outer space are worshiping God. How great is our God? It's awesome. And he cares about us. He wants a relationship with us. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. So if you need to repent of anything, whether the first time to commit your life to Christ, do it today, or whether you've strayed from Christ, you need to rededicate your life to Christ, do it today. Do it today. Live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this awesome, marvelous passage in Romans. And I'm really excited, Lord God, as you know, to get into Romans 8 next week. 
and how awesome, awesome, awesome our salvation is, and how awesome it is having the Holy Spirit within us, that we are more than conquerors through you within us, O Lord God. Lord God, I pray that this passage reminds all of us, regardless of those three different views on this passage, I pray it reminds all of us that we need you. We need you, oh, we need you, Jesus. There's no way to live the Christian life apart from you. And Lord God, if anyone here needs to repent and turn to you, may today be the day to confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, to believe in you as the one and only Savior. May today be the day to trust in you and commit to you. Not in some type of a one-time magical prayer, but in a lifestyle of living in a relationship with you. Lord God, we need your help. We all struggle. I certainly do. We need to walk with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand for the closing uh, song as the worship team leads the closing song. And as always, I know I say this every week, if you have questions about God or the spiritual life, I would love to just sit down and talk with you. Even if you're a non-believer, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just glad to talk to you. And the altars are always open. And we're going to close with Great is Thy Faithfulness.